Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the 295th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Michael Brown and Bright Chase. Thanks, Michael and Bright. I'm Oren Kaplan, and... I'm Carlin Hudson. Carlin is sitting in for Matt. We'll tell you a little bit more about why in a minute. But today we have my old friend, Devin Kelly on. She is a writer. She is very funny. She is part of a writing duo with another old friend named Mike Dow. They have written on uh, sitcoms, on TV shows. They have a Netflix animated show out right now called Inside Job. That's a rated R comedy. And they're writing a feature film right now as well, based on a graphic novel. So they've got a lot of cool things happening. Devin and I worked together at Disney many years ago. And she was, you know, I really learned a lot about writing from her and about comedy. And it's fun to catch up with her. And Carlin is also writing a feature, so it's fun to kind of talk about writing for an episode. Now that Matt's out of the way, I get to get out of here, Matt. Steal all your secrets. And speaking of Matt, Carlin, you're here because what happened with Matt? Well, he was in an accident. <laughs> the accident was called "Whoopsie, we had a baby." <laughs> yeah. Um, so thanks, Carlin, for stepping in for Matt. He owes you big time. If you need anything, big he told time. me any favor you need. He will give it to you. But uh, yeah, um, we are going to now move into our conversation with Devin Kelly. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So, hey, we are here with Devin Kelly. How's it going, Devin? Thanks for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. One thing that I thought was kind of interesting to talk about, and Carla and I, you you probably have some something like this in your career too, but it's interesting to see like the people that you start working with in film, like kind of, you know, your first partners and filmmakers and other people that you team up with. And then I think we've all been, I mean, I think Devin and I are a bit older than Carlin, but we've all been in working in, on this like for a good number of years and just seeing like who the people from the start, like are just kind of superstars now versus who isn't in the business anymore. Well, I feel first of all attacked. Um, I can't believe you brought me on here to ridicule me and my career. It's a really, really hurtful way to start. Uh, yeah, you do think about that. I mean, we had some random at Take 180. Allison Brie was one of the actors in one of the shows. And that was crazy, like to watch her on TV a lot. Yeah, like wow. literally the people from community like emailed us and they're like, hey, we heard that Allison Brie plays a high school student on your show. We'd like to see that footage. Do you mind sending that to us? And then she did Mad Men too at the same time. Yeah, she was doing Mad Men at the time. And I was like, you have arrived. Yeah. But you could tell like that she was a really amazing actor. I think so. Right? Yeah. I didn't work on that show, but I watched it and I thought, yeah. And she was already working. There's something about the confidence of people who are already working <laughs> that's like a light shoots out of the top of their head and you're like, oh, okay. I don't know what that is, but. Je ne sais quoi. Do you find <laughs> do you find that's true about writers also? Yeah, I think so. Probably a little bit. Right, we're a little bit weirder, wouldn't you say, Carlin? Yeah, I went to acting school at Tisch, and it's been kind of fun to see like a person in my class, which is only sixty people, was is Chloe Fineman oh, on yeah. SNL now. Cool. Which is which is wild, yeah. And then another one of my classmates, who's a good friend of mine, Stacey Osekafor, she's writing. Uh, she won an Emmy for Watchmen. Like she's writing the new Blade movie. She's like a big writer now too. And so, yeah, it's been kind of cool. And then there's many people who have their PhDs, obviously, and other things. But um, yeah. which are also very cool. One of my friends from film school is on NPR. You guys. Oh really? <laughs> that is kind of yeah. cool. Ira Glass. Elena Shotkin. She's the food editor and freelance editor for the LAS and KPCC newsroom. So sometimes I'll be driving and listening to the radio when she comes on. That's awesome. And but don't so you, exciting. who shot your, who's the DP on your thesis film? Uh, Lance Black, Dustin Lance Black, who won an Oscar for Milk. He was a really good DP in film school. He was known as a director of photography and he, he took amazing pictures. He shot tons of people's student films. And then he got a job on um, Big Love on HBO, and then he and then he wrote Milk, and then he won an Oscar. That was so crazy. Yeah, he wrote Milk. Yeah, and then won an Oscar for it. Wow. Yeah, but so wasn't it? And I think we were making like web videos about you know dogs farting and like are making our dads do impersonation or impressions mm -hmm. of people mm -hmm. from movies. At the same time that your classmate was winning an Oscar, did that 
Like, was he winning at the same time? Yeah, I yeah, I think that's when I was like doing Kesha impressions and <laughs> dressing yeah. up like a Yeti. Do you think Kesha can sue TikTok? Isn't that like her term? Oh boy. Oh yeah, TikTok. Yeah, she had that song. Yeah, she good point, Orange. She didn't think of the word TikTok. Like it's a clock sound. <laughs> it wasn't before Kesha. <laughs> okay. that's true Uh, she made it catchy i I think about today i guess i brought up because today i posted some things from this commercial i just did on instagram you know some like breakdowns and little behind the scenes videos and it was like a really low budget commercial you know like i basically did you know we had a production team we had like a great dp and production company and stuff but um i did all the editing and visual effects and color and sound myself and i you know kind of wrote the script they gave us an idea that the company and we had to do everything super cheap. Like we have this shot of this, the lead actress, she like falls through the ceiling uh, to the ground. And we couldn't have put her on wires or anything. Like she literally just had to jump and, you know, land. And I post this and I know like some of the people that we worked with, like are working on like hundred million dollar movies. And like, I sometimes I wonder like if they see me being proud of this, like tiny video <laughs> and they're like best friends with, you know, Kristen Stewart or whatever on a yacht making deep, you know, if you make like philosophical any, movies, if you make any money like doing what we do, I, I feel like you've made it. I mean, think about how where all of us were. I mean, sometimes I think about like the first meeting I had on the Disney lot, and I just thought I saw, I looked up and saw those dumb dwarves or whatever you know is on that lot, and I was Only like, one of them is dumb. That's true, but there's all the you know, it's just and you just think, holy shit! Like I can't believe I'm here, and I can't believe I'm taking these meetings. It is, it is crazy. That we're all we're all doing this. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think anything like people ask that about being a writer. There's no mystique to it <laughs> whatsoever. Do you write stuff? Then you're a writer. I thought you, you were I mean? asking it's, me. I was like, yeah, sometimes. Do you? Well, then, Harlan, <laughs> you are a writer. I did just join the WGA, so that was oh, exciting. congratulations! Thank That's you. That's a really big deal. Welcome to really good healthcare. I can't wait. I don't get it till January, which is crazy. It's like six months later, but whatever. Yeah, they make you wait. They make you wait and like accumulate points and stuff. But it is fantastic. I can't wait. Do you have yeah. to get paid a certain amount of money to keep you, it. Yes, you you have to. You have to make over forty thousand, I think, to qualify, and then mm-hmm. every year you have to make forty thousand. Yep, it just went up, I think, to forty. Mm-hmm. So if you're like 40, a feature writer, sorry, Dan, if you're I'm, like a feature writer, do you you have to write a feature like every year, pretty much, to keep your health insurance? Maybe, and but like. It. Maybe, but like the contract I'm under is a step deal. I'm writing a feature for Netflix, Devin. And, um, oh, very cool. Depends on the day. But um, yes, it is cool. What about the dwarf? What you just okay, said? Look, it. look, I know, but I did, wasn't talking about me. I was talking about y'all. Um, <laughs> but like it kind of depends, I guess. Yeah, it just depends on how many steps they continue to give me past my like. I'm only owed them a first draft and a second draft, but there's all these other steps that I could be paid for. So it's like maybe next year they'll pay me for another step and then I'll qualify for the health insurance. Oh, for the health insurance. Yeah. Or yeah. maybe not. Maybe I'll, maybe I could do like four weeklies or something. You know, I don't know. I mean, it's so insane. Devin, aren't you worried that in like 20 years from now, you're not going to be like hustling to write and you'll lose your health insurance and then you'll be like older and stuff. Yes. I worry about it every <laughs> single day. In fact, 
um, my writing partner, Mike and I, I have a writing partner, Mike Dow, and we, we take jobs and think about strategy. He has a baby. I have two kids. Oh um, we have families. How old is his baby? We, he's 16 months. No, oh, no, he's 17 months. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's a cute baby. Oh my God. Meeting. Yeah. You guys have to have a baby play date. Yeah, Mike is our boss at Disney, Devin and my boss at Disney. Well, it's weird. He started as an editor there. And then one day they're like, by the way, Mike's your new boss. Yeah, that's the world of internet upstarts. You know, it's like one day he's the editor and the next day he's an executive. Quite, quite literally. That's, that's what happened. Um, but yeah, no, we strategize our whole lives around like, like we had to, like when we worked on Inside Job, which is a Netflix show, mm-hmm. that was Animation Guild. And that took a year. And that's different, wrote, right? That's like a different guild. Yes. It's a different guild. It's like it's the IATC kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's the same insurance, but it's a different guild. So you, it's a whole different thing. And so we took that job and, and animation takes so long to complete. We worked on that job for one year and we had to think about, are we going to take this job versus we got offered like a multicam sitcom at the same time that was Writers Guild. And we were like, okay, let's look at how many points we have saved up. We each had enough points to get us through a year of not working on a WGA show. Wow. So we burned through our points. It's all like, I mean, this is what, right. That, this, this is, is the art this of, is the, <laughs> This is the glamorous life of a TV writer. And you are thinking about that. And since you have a writing partner, you have to split all your fees. Well, maybe not when you're at your level, maybe, but like at lower level, you have to split your fees too, right? Oh, no. We split everything. We split everything. But you split the points too? Oh, no. No, you don't have to split your points in the guild or anything. But you, I mean, you make half. So you have to have a different, you have to have double better the work jobs almost. to make, yeah, it's double the work, yeah. but then you get, then it's easier to write. It's a whole thing. It's a whole calculation that goes into that. I do yeah. think I always like fantasize about having like a directing partner, like being in a duo and I've actually mm-hmm. lose a lot of jobs to duos, which I totally understand if I was Wait, hiring- and you have brothers. I know. Yeah, but brothers are all the duos are brothers. I don't know any yeah. sisters, the by Catelyn the way. Brothers. I know. Where are the sister teams? That's a great question, and I think about it a lot and get real pissed. Are Me there too? sister duos? Yeah, we're no. supposed to have. Well, I don't know any. Not, well, maybe you're not looking on, on the right Vimeo channel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we were supposed to have these sisters, the Ray sisters. They're oh. a directing duo on the podcast, and they were too busy to come on. So, hey. Oh, uh, okay. Well, that's Seems good. like that's uh, directing female directing duos are hot right now. Damn. But, um, okay. The one. No, but hot. I just think about like Glad to hear it. treatments and pitching, and you know, before we started recording, you talked about how much free work we do. You know, I think both writing and directing, you're constantly trying to convince someone that you're the the exact right person to hire out of a you know a list of like super talented people, and because that's such a grind, and you're trying to make money and also pitch and work on bigger things and work on your own projects. Like if you have someone that's covering for you, that's like, Hey, I'm going to, I have, you know, my kids going to the hospital today. Like, can you please write the end of this treatment that's due tonight? Like you, you can't do that if you're alone, but if you're a duo, no, you get to cover. Which sounds you. really hard. Yeah. No divide and conquer is our motto. Like we, we break stuff together and then we write outlines together and stuff. And then we start basically splitting scenes and that sort of thing. And then we put it all together and go through it together. 
make changes. Can you tell me, I, you know, I think we have a range of listeners from Hollywood vets to people that, you know, didn't even know there's such a job as a director. Can you right. just explain To my that? dad, maybe my dad will listen. <laughs> you might have just picked up one more fan. Yes, we actually right. have kind of a few really quality, high quality dads that listen to this podcast. Like previous <laughs> oh, guests, but the guests don't listen, but the dads do. Mr. Um, oh, Yacenda, cool. talking to you. Oh. Um, uh, but so what does breaking a story mean? Especially like you, you, you do primarily TV writing. I know you're, right, you're working on a feature now, but um, most of your... The last 10 years you've been writing for TV. What does is, what is breaking mean? And does it apply to features also? Yeah, I mean, I think it does. You can probably speak more to that, Carlin, but we have spent, you know, weeks and weeks figuring out the story. I mean, you have to have a story. This is what I didn't know when I was just doodly diddling around with fucking God knows what screenplays starting in my like 20s when I was like working at the Cheesecake Factory by night and then writing screenplays by later night, you know, ah. I was just like so stupid in my apartment, just being like, sit down and then just write. Like it comes in your head and just bleh, like ticky tacky wrong. No, not a good plan. You do not run into a forest without a map. And writing without an outline, a treatment, uh, a completely thorough idea of where you're going is is like running into the woods naked without a map. I added that naked <laughs> part. Naked I'm like, it's for sex appeal. I, I, I know you really are trying to get this, keep this podcast sexy. <laughs> so you're, you're nude in the woods, alone in the dark. You don't have a map. Honestly, that is hot. That sounds very sexual. Yeah. yeah alone. And, and, not it's unlike alone. my it's, last... Yeah. My past weekend in Big Bear. Oh, <laughs> nice. Exactly. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, Dad alone in the that. woods. Yes. Yes. But anyway, yeah. So you you have to sit there. Wait, and so breaking like, means figuring out the plot, the structure? Breaking means figuring out the story. You break a story. And it's fucking difficult. Like, an, like making an outline. Does that count as breaking something? Well, yeah. An outline is what happens after you break the story and write down everything that happens. Then you go through it and you write down basically a little like beat sheet, which is the abridged version of what happens. And then you take after you kick the tires on that, then you write the outline based on the beat sheet. And then then you can send off the writers to write the script, which is it's truly I'm not I'm not exaggerating when I say that writing the actual act of writing dialogue and you know, interior, the chapel night is, is like sprinkling little sprinkles on the top of a cake that took you 32 hours to bake. <laughs> like, it's like, that's, that's the very last and the really the only fun part. <laughs> I don't want to speak for all writers, but that's the fun part. That's your reward for doing the brutal pedestrian yucky grunt work of trying to beat out the story. And that's the same for TV. Cause I do that in features too. Like I feel like I'll spend at least half the time outlining if not more. And in TV, it's almost more right. Like you could do, if it's a 20 week room, you might spend 15 weeks breaking the story. I don't know. Does that the right math? How does um, that work? I, I don't know exactly. I mean, you have to have time to send writers off to write drafts and stuff like that, but absolutely. 
It's a room full of people sitting there and it is not very fun. I have to tell you guys right now, I'm sorry, but it's not. I mean, maybe someone likes that. It is difficult and it's a lot of people trying really hard to, to work together to make something good. You know, in a collaborative, it's, yeah, it's a team of people in a room. But that sounds fun. In the room. In the room. Okay. Can I just tell you something? Okay. Here's what I want to, here's what I want to say about TV writing. They have turned this thing, they call it the room. Who's in the room today? Like it's, it's literally like the room where it happens from Hamilton. I've seen Hamilton. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. It's that like the room. And I was like, please stop calling it the room and like luring people to this <laughs> sexy sounding career of TV writing, call it a room. That's what it is. That would give people a better idea. Do you want to go in a room and work on a story? And you're <laughs> like, mm, uh, let me think about it. Right. But if they're like, do you want to go in the room? You're like, Ooh, who's in the, who gets to be in the room? Oh, who's in the room? Oh, tell me. Oh my God. Do I get to be in the room? It's like, ugh. Well, because it's like, I mean, it's like, just like Hamilton, it's like a room of insiders. Like, how do you get inside that room? How do you get chosen from a million people? And just to back up a little bit, you were talking about how like writing dialogue is just like the, the fun, the sprinkles on the, on top of the cake, on top of the icing. The story cake. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, to me, I actually haven't read a ton of Carlin's writing, but I've read a ton of Devin's writing. <laughs> so that, that's, I'm just qualifying why I'm saying this about Devin, but like, I've read so much of your stuff and it's like, so a, it's so funny. B it's like so easy to read. And it's like, I could tell you like a guy walks into a room whenever passes gas, pretends it's on him and leaves the room. And you would write like the funniest version of that scene, you know, like in two minutes. I remember when we worked together at take 180, which was owned by Disney at some point, you know, you would just like go off for like half an hour and type things up and bring them back and then be super funny. And even when we did so Devin actually like wrote the like a lot of the Quiznos stuff I did. Like it was her idea to do House of I did this viral video, whatever, House of Thrones, um, which was a House of Cards and meets Game of Thrones thing, because we knew this guy that was an amazing Kevin Spacey impersonator back when it was Yeah, Kevin about Spacey before he got canceled. <laughs> yeah. Kevin Spacey got canceled. I don't um, know, did Ross Marquand get canceled? No. He's okay. No, he's like but doing so well. He's Yeah, you know, he is, he is. He's in like Marvel movies and stuff. Yeah. Actor and guy we knew. But uh, like, I think the reason you're not worried about that stuff is it comes easy to you. And I suspect that the way you even got your job at Disney to begin with was because of that skill of like writing scripts, like three page scripts that are really fun to read, you know? Oh, right. Well, that's, that's kind of like weirdly like baking and frosting the cake and throwing the sprinkles in at the same time. Like we had to do the website we worked for was called Take 180. So everything had to be 180 seconds. And it was kind of for kids like that. And so everything was three minutes. So that was that was actually easy-ish and fun too at the same time. And we got it was just silly parody stuff. It was a little bit sillier. There wasn't the same and you're already working from when you're doing a parody, you're already working from Yeah. This, a place that's established, right? The structure and like the game are really clear. And that's what takes so long to figure, at least in my experience, to figure out the outline is like, what is the structure of this thing? Like, what's right. the frame of the house? Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I feel like, I mean, I obviously do not write as nearly as much as you guys do, but 
I feel like when I do write the structure, not that it's easy for me, but it's the stuff that I really enjoy. And the dialogue is where I'm like, oh, this doesn't sound good. We'll fix this later. We'll fix this later. We'll fix this later. And then like every line of dialogue is like not great, you know? And I'm like, I don't want to <laughs> give anyone the script to read. Cause even though, you know, I think the story is good, the, all the characters sound the same, you know? And it's at some point the dialogue being good is makes the story good. You know, like those things are correlated to each other, right? Cause it's, the dialogue is kind of defining the people and their motivations and stuff in a way. Yeah. Yeah. It does matter. Especially you don't want in, it to like, be multicam and stuff. Yeah. yeah. You don't want it to be just kind of loxy, uh, which means lay there like a lox. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> what is that? Like a yeah, bagel? That's a writing term. It's a term. It's a term. I don't know. See, the, the funny thing about all the TV writing terms is like some things are built upon each other, like lore that you've heard about some writing room that like, four people ago knew someone that was in this room and then the showrunner would say this and then now everybody says it. But loxy is a term that, I don't know, one of the writing rooms we were in, they used to say that a lot. Like it's loxy, meaning it lays there like a lox. Like, <laughs> like, like the salmon? Lox, just ah. like bleh. <laughs> yeah. It's just bleh. It's just right there. Interesting. Um, so that's something we say a lot. Yeah. Carlin, do you we find mean- <laughs> <laughs> Right. Do you find that you have do you enjoy writing the dialogue like more like are you kind of like Devin like that's the part that comes oh, yeah. in breaking yeah. the story is hard it is more fun I think I the thing I get more practiced at is just letting myself like go with dialogue and scenes knowing that I'll go back and trim it later I think like I used to get in the weeds more when I was editing at the same time that I was writing and so now sometimes I just kind of like vomit it all out and then shape the scene kind of mm-hmm. after that but, but if I but I have to know what the scene like if I don't know what the scene needs to happen in the scene like who wants what what happens at the end of this like I'm not then I won't write the scene exactly it's pointless exactly you still have to know their drive what's their drive what's their attitude all that stuff of stuff we talk about a lot in advance and you have to know your characters really well to be able to to be able to do that so figuring out the characters like you're saying Warren that comes earlier too and then sometimes you find little fun quirks as you go along but right well I guess I'm curious like I'm fixating on this breaking the story thing so like so Devin the movie you and Mike are working on was is based on existing IP right it's uh, mm-hmm. based on a, a graphic, graphic novel mm-hmm. and so you have or you read the graphic novel and then you come and you say that this is how we would make this into a movie yeah, we kind of came up with a story based on the graphic novel because the graphic novel was released tiny, tiny bit by tiny bit. I want to say there were only like six frames, six little squares <laughs> of cartoon. Oh God, this is not this is not <laughs> actual term. Sorry, graphic novelists. That's not the terminology. How did we ever get this job? Six little squares. Um, but there was that was it. Like sometimes that was it at a time. So what we really tried to do was take the spirit of the graphic novel, you know, and, and then build a story out of that. So we took some of the characters, some of the basic premise and, and then, and then we've now been working for months just on the story to make it work. But so how much do you need? So you won this job, right? You were competing against other writers mm-hmm. to get this job. How much do, of the story do you break before you go pitch your version? Like how much of the free work are you doing? 
Yeah. You tell them the entire idea that you have and just cross your fingers and hope they pick you basically. So you guys are just give them a, well, I have to say though, after, so you think you're telling them the entire movie and then you go to write exactly. them and you're like, Holy shit. There's like a giant <laughs> cavern in yeah. the middle of this thing. How, the, how do they get from I A know. to B? Like, yeah. And your reps you are like, they've, you've already done the work. This will be easy. Like, and you're like, no, but yeah, I mean, my pitch to win this job was 30 minutes. It was at least 12, 14 page, you know, just like many, many, Act one, act two, act three, characters, themes. Like it just, it was long. It was exhaustive. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. You have to do that. Otherwise you sound like a donkey. Yeah. Do you guys know, I mean, I I feel like Carlin, yours is a little different because it's an original script, right? No, it's an adaptation of a book. Did someone option it? How did it come to be? Yeah. Kind of similar. Uh, Two companies optioned it, sold it to Netflix and then they were looking for writers to pitch on it. And um, it needed to be kind of a specific demo or they wanted a specific because it's like a queer story. It's set in the South. It's funny. It's YA. So they were. it was kind of a, I don't know, maybe there's hundreds of us in that sandbox. No idea. But it was kind of, I had a different script. The one, the other high school movie I'm packaging that they read, which is how I got in the room. But I'm pretty sure they went out to like 10 or 12 writers and I, there was really? like, oh yeah, that's a lot. They're not supposed to do that. I made that number they're up. No, they're not supposed to oh, do that. Okay. They're not, they're not supposed to do that many. How many I don't are they think supposed when to do? I think they're supposed to narrow it down to like four at the most. Wait, really? You, there's a rule? Maybe three to six, maybe three to six. I think it's, I, I think it's considered, you have to get a producer uh, on here and ask yeah, them. Yeah. I think it is considered bad form to ask 20 people to pour their soul into a pitch for a full treatment, basically well, a full like movie pitch and then not pick that. This, my first meeting was kind of like, just see if you're interested. Like, how did you uh, like the oh, book? Oh yeah, you're right. You know what? You're right. Sorry. I forgot about that. Step. Yeah. Totally. So yeah. Then how are you? Are you cool? Are you like a normal person? Yes. Yeah. And like, do you have any no, sort of top level thoughts, yeah. you know, about right. it? And then yes. it kind of was whittled from there. And then it, at the end it was like, I think Netflix heard three pitches, like full yeah, that's pitches. right. Yes, mm-hmm. that's correct. Yes, absolutely. I forgot. See, things. <laughs> but even to be honest, since it was my, that's not true. This is my third like open writing assignment pitch, which is like Hollywood's, it's kind of self-explanatory, but it's, but it's basically IP or, an idea or whatever. Yeah, that, that is we funded. Yeah, that they're like paying for. It's not it's not independent. It's, it's, it, you will get paid for this. It'll be WGA. And so I think it was like my third time pitching on an open writing assignment, but I honestly, even that first meeting, like I, I came in with a mini pitch and they were like, yeah. Whoa, you know, yes. And See, I have to a good idea. That is a great idea. Yeah. yeah. Don't say six was- squares. Just saying <laughs> I read the book. Yeah, exactly. Six squares. Yeah. Guys, six squares and I sold you <laughs> right in the room. No, but it's no, uh, you're right. It's better at least to show in what ways you connect to the yeah. material. Yeah. To say like, I was really inspired by this. This reminded me of the time I was at camp as a kid or whatever it is right. that really draws you into the material and makes you want to write it. That stands out too. I think enthusiasm goes a long way. Yeah. It's a different order of magnitude budget wise but in commercials it's like the same thing like totally you're supposed to you always have this meeting the first meeting you have 
with the agency or, you know, in, in any version where you're meeting with like the person that needs to decide whether they'll hire you or not. And the, it, the meetings, those meetings are always set up as them. They're, they're, they're going to tell you about the project a little bit. And I think for the first couple of times, you're like, oh, cool. Yeah, I, I'll listen. You know, and then you realize like after the first two meetings where they have zero interest in you that like, oh, them telling you about the project is actually about you reacting to them telling you about the project. So you better be ready. Exactly. You better you fucking know. say you love Quiznos <laughs> exactly. or you are not getting this job. You better be eating a turkey toasted <laughs> And turkey sure eating a sub. <laughs> Just throw it right in their face. Yeah. Exactly. No, it's very true. And that's true of lots of general meetings, like any, anything, it's your chance to tell them when they say like, so are you working on anything now? You have to whip out that thing you're, <laughs> right. you're really interested in doing. Yeah. And so Devin, for your, for your thing, I, I think it's interesting because you didn't, you didn't get like a plot or we're going to do this issue or whatever. You just kind of had this world What's the first step? Do you guys like stand at a whiteboard and like, like look in like some text doc document or like notes file on your phone? And you're like, Hey, I thought it'd be fun to do a story about vulnerability of whatever. Of <laughs> men I don't mean to laugh at that, but I love that. Like, <laughs> like, how do you even start finding your angle on something? You know? Right. That's a great question. Well, for this project, it was already two genres put in but baked into it. So that was a whole first step for us. And so like they always say like writing two horses, you should not do that in scenes and stuff. Well, this was writing two genres and that was already a challenge. I would like to say that Mike and I bought a whiteboard and my children use it <laughs> to draw on it with their dry erase markers. We don't do cards on a wall we don't do that. Yours, they look so cool. It looks like to me, I'm like, ah, that's what a real writer does. I also have a whiteboard too. Do you my... use it? Yeah, let's see it. And it's small-ish. I know. Well, there it is. It's right. It's just sitting on top of my chair right now. Oh, that's yeah. cool. But, yeah. But see? it's, but that's like, oh, I had stole to Stole your movie idea. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> right there. Click, click, Fine. screen grab. But like that right now on my whiteboard, yesterday I put up, I have to kind of re-break one of the the B story in the Netflix movie. So I was like, you know, so I went through and like re rebroke the B story. And that's that. Of course, yeah, now I'm like, too, yeah. where I'm like, nobody touch it. You know what I mean? Exactly. Your dog walks over by exactly. it. Yeah. Cause that uh, will come off on pet fur. Oh yeah. Dry erase marker. We, I do notes in my phone a lot, like little inspo bits in my phone, just free thoughts, random that's, like shower thoughts. And, and do you remember to go back and find them and read them? Yeah, because I call it like I'll call it the title of whatever it is, and and I'll just put ideas. The thing that sucks is to go back in your phone and see ideas for jobs you didn't get. Oh, I know. And you're like, all these stories for I'm sorry. Okay, let's delete that. Yeah, uh, I but have, I don't. I don't delete it because maybe I'll use it for something else. You never. Whenever know. I work on a treatment, I use you know I add the folder to like my finders quick bar, you know, the dock on the left, so I can quickly get to the folder. And then, you know, whenever I don't get a job and I see it's still there, like, you know, oh, this is the Coca-Cola job or whatever. And it's just on my screen at all times. It makes me really Taunting you. Exactly. No, That's it is when depressing. I get a new computer. Yep. Perfect. There you go. Perfect. That's a Mike and I did 
We did try starting using, because we use Google Docs to share a lot because you can share like them um, quite easily. And um, and then we talk over Zoom. Uh, we are rarely in a room. Notice I didn't say the room. We're rarely, rarely in a room together because we're busy and we don't live in the same part of Los Angeles, which is like you might as well live in two different states. Um, so we just get on there and we do, we did at one point in our Google doc, we do do like, there's a way to do note cards in that. And then you can shuffle stuff around and you can really? even add colors. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You can totally do that. Andrew, in, I did not know that. In Google docs. Yeah. It's a weird, it's not designed for that. You have to find something else that says note cards or something. I forget what it's under, but it's somewhere in there. If you're ever collabing with someone, um, our friends, by the way, love, these are two writers we worked with, Brophy and Miles. They have a friend who invented something called Writer Duet, which is so much better. Can we take a moment to just say how terrible Final Draft is? It is terrible. Do people come on and talk about that a lot? Have writers ever come on and uh, complained? There's another podcast who, that their main premise of their podcast is how bad Final Draft no is. No kidding. It's so fucking bad it's so unuser friendly it drives us insane like it's you, so you do you use writer duet okay <laughs> we started using it for a brief second on inside job but we need to take the time to fully learn it once you do learn it it's a much more intuitive program it is so infinitely superior to final draft but we have to sit down one day or two days or a week and like really learn it. And we both have to learn it. That's the you thing. Do. It can't just be me at midnight tinkering around and then just, you know what I mean? Like you I do to. like Highland. That's what I use now. Yeah. I use Highland too. Yeah. Oh, Highland really mm-hmm. is a good, I haven't used it. I like, it has a couple features that I don't love, but there's more that I love, but there, I think final draft has more features that are annoying than Highland. Okay. Yeah. It sucks and you can export I, to Final Draft from Highland. Oh, you can. See, that's yeah. really good. And to PDF, I assume, and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, awesome. Okay. I'll have to look into that. Is it easy to learn? Yeah. Yeah. Because Writer Duet's almost so good that it's hard. It's, it is easy to learn, but it's like it has so many good features that to really use it well, you have to spend some time. Yeah, Highland is really easy to use. It's um, It's pretty intuitive, but there's a few. You'll find yourself like doing tab a lot which you don't do tab on highland so that like breaking the habit of hitting tab for all the characters names because you just oh right you just write it uh anything you put in all caps at the beginning of a sentence is a character name and then it automatically puts in the middle and then you so it's just sort of a different you know yeah it's a little different the premise is that like you're it kind of takes away the worry of the formatting and just Mm -hmm. like you all you only have like kind of text on the screen Oh, that's cool. Wait, so when you guys are outlining your story, does one of you have like the, you know, the outline, like bullet points, and the other one is just kind of talking? Or are you guys both just editing? We both have the document open. Once in a while, we'll say like, we've already kind of come up with a broad stroke. So you take act one, I'll take act two, and then we'll come together. And then we'll both do act three. We do that sometimes. Mike is really, really okay. So here's another thing. Mike took a cl- a writing class from this guy named Corey Mandel. Oh, yeah. Who's have you heard of him? Mm-hmm. Is he even yeah, okay. So people really like Corey Mandel. He he talks about there's two types of writers, conceptual and intuitive. And 
Mike is very conceptual and I'm very intuitive. And we've kind of come together over the years and kind of gotten strong in the other person's area. But Mike is really, really good at outlines. So sometimes he'll be like, I just need to take this and do this thing that does, you know, in this figure. And then we'll, 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 we'll figure it out later. Like we'll fix it in a second. But let me just hammer this out as I see it from a very conceptual viewpoint. So a lot of times he's doing that and we zhuzh it together. You know, there's many different, yeah. different things we do. Have you heard of him, Corey Mandel, Carlin? No. Oh, yeah. So I, I didn't take his class. My friend took it and she told me kind of everything about it. And he, yeah, so he has this, he talks about the forest and the trees, right? Like there's people that kind of have a, a good view of the whole thing. You know, the conceptual people, they're really good at structure. They're really good at breaking into act two, act three, like kind of have a, an instinct for that. Um, and then there's people that are really good at just like writing dialogue, like just barfing things out, like being emotional, like, like kind of finding, like drawing from their life and putting it into the, the stuff that's happened and just kind of being really insightful. And I think he says that the problem is a lot of writers, if, if you're really intuitive, you work on your intuitive side a lot. And if you're really conceptual, you work on your conceptual side a lot. So conceptual people just keep structuring the right outlines and outlines, outlines, but they don't really want to write the script because, you know, that, that like they don't want to get to the intuitive side. And then the intuitive people like journal and write great scenes and write great dialogue, but they don't really want to like do the conceptual side. Like, yeah, they're like structure bars. Fits together. Yeah. And his whole thing when you take his class is like, Whatever you're good at, like if you're a conceptual writer, he just makes you do intuitive stuff like all the time. And if you're an intuitive writer, just do conceptual stuff all the time because he, he's he's trying to break that, that like your crutch basically and trying right. to force you. He's like, you're already really good at this writing dialogue and being emotional and doing whatever this thing, you're intuitive, like kind of tapping into the rhythm of these things, but you're, your stuff doesn't build anything or whatever. So all you, don't worry about this and just worry about it about working conceptually or vice versa. And it's right. Exactly. And something interesting is a lot of times conceptual and intuitive writers don't get along. Like you'll be in a room and the conceptual writers, you'll, you'll pitch something and the conceptual writer will be like, explain that to me, start (laughs) to finish and convince me with logic why he should drop his pants and moon her. And you're like, I don't fucking have an explanation for you, dude. It's funny. That's the explanation, you know? And, and so usually they kind of argue a lot, but Mike and I seem to have figured out like how to make that work. That seems ideal though, to have, to have the kind of for two, if you're going to be a writing team for one to be more conceptual and one to be more intuitive. Well, it is. And especially when you have to have both, you really have to have have to, um, that you really appreciate that in the other person. You really, really do. But you're, but you're really good at conceptual writing and Mike's really good at intuitive writing too. But yeah, I think maybe there's wrong. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, no, over the years. Yeah, no, we have, we have built it up over the years of just working together and also just, you have to, you just have to, especially if you're a comedy writer, like you have to be able to make jokes and think of funny crap. And, and, and then you also have, you always have to have structure. Yeah. Well, how can you talk a little bit about comedy in structure? Like, do you think when you're breaking the story before there's dialogue, before there's, you're kind of setting the scene, how funny does the story need to be when you're writing like a 
comedy feature? The story itself? That's a great question. Like, does the premise have to be funny or do you think you can just make scenes funny on their own? I think that the funny part usually comes in the execute, comes in yeah. the intuitive places. Like you can do the same exact scene two ways. And if you focus on one little detail, it's suddenly funny, you know? Um, so I feel like that comes later. The structure always has to be there. Someone said, the, I, I did not make this up. Maybe someone can tell me who actually came up with this quote, that confusion is the death of comedy. And so you you absolutely have to make something has to make sense before you try to put your like sparkle magic on it. Like it has to make sense. You still have to do that, that structural grunt work and know what everybody's drive is even if it's a silly drive, you know? I will say, I think that a, a f- when you're writing a comedy feature, a funny premise is key. Because if the premise doesn't have any comedic potential, then that's going to be hard to make it a comedy. You know that's what I mean? That's a good point. Like, he dies of cancer. Yeah, that's <laughs> not funny, like, right? That's not, right? That's not funny. I mean, what's his name? Robert Unless Cipollini? it's farting cancer. What? He made the Holocaust comedy, Life is Beautiful. Oh yeah, Roberto Benini. <laughs> yeah. um, is that who that is? Did yeah. I say the right name? Sometimes names. Yeah, yeah. Just... Okay. The guy that like climbs over, climbed yeah, over the chairs to get his Oscar. Yeah, he climbed on the furniture and jumped up at Oscar yeah. at the Oscars, and then was never heard from again. Yeah. That um, was weird. Oh man, I watched that with like, I think I watched that with like my grandma and her friend, who's like a Holocaust survivor that like walked out in the middle of the movie. It's a comedy about the Holocaust. If you haven't seen it, because yeah. he was making light of it. Yeah. Um, it's really good, Carlin. There was I mean, a lot of tragedy. At the time, it was too. really good. Yeah. It was. Uh, wait, people, it's like a critically acclaimed film, this it's film? It's Oscar it, it won comedy. the Oscar. Whoa. In 1990, 2002? Yeah, probably something like that. 1990, 2002 is the future. It's the future you, Oscar you winner. You can quote me on that. Um, but, I mean, you think about a movie like Tootsie, right? Or Mrs. Doubtfire, I guess. It's Those are funny movie. premises. Like, that right. premise is funny. Right. But then you think about a movie like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, where the premise isn't that funny. It's just this guy's ditching school and he's doing a bunch of funny things. And because doing they are funny things. lying to... You just said it already. You just said it. <laughs> but because they're lying to their parents, there's like comedy, you know? Yeah. Um, or even like Back to the Future. Like, I don't know that that premise is... Well, I guess... Dating the, his mom. Yes. I guess if the, if the premise is like, oh, you accidentally broke up your parents in the past and you need to get them to fall for each other or else you'll never be born. Right. But does anyone ever say back to the future? One of the great comedies of all time. (laughs) Yes. There are some nerds online. I'm sure. No offense, nerds. (laughs) The same people who tanked the all female Ghostbusters Rotten Tomatoes score might say that. God damn them. Yeah. Well, that, Yeah. yeah. Well, how do you, Devin, how, like, how do you know what's funny? Like when you're either writing in a TV room on like a sitcom, like a multicam comedy, or you're writing on, was the, is the Netflix, the animated show, is that a comedy? I mean, I know it's like very adult. Yeah, it's very funny. I um, mean, there's a lot of jokes in it. So it's it. like yeah. a rated R comedy, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. How do you determine if a joke is funny? Oh, with yeah. the, you were asking if this was funny. Yeah, you were asking if this, this project is funny. And it's more, it, the, the, it's 
because it's based again on IP, we're kind of following the tone-ish of the IP, which is there's funny moments, but the funny comes from like real character stuff and, you know, what's actually happening with the plot. But I see, I always feel like there's a really missed opportunity in a lot of movies, which is to do what people would really do in that situation and what people would really say in that situation because the movies spend so much time trying to make heroes and action and this and that and it's like you know if really an asteroid came down to earth like people would act there would be some funny moments some funny reactions of people you know do you and mike ever think something's like not like does he pitch something and you're like yeah it's not that funny or vice versa like does that all the time that's all we do well i mean the thing that's great is in the room, you know, when you're, when you're in a writer's room, you really are not supposed to crap on anybody else's stuff. It's a, it's a rule and it's a good rule. You should not let the showrunner decide what's funny or not, or what goes in or not. You should not ever police someone else's pitch, really. I mean, that's my opinion. Um, because you're trying to support each other and build, you know, push a rock up a hill together. So just don't, don't, don't do that. However, Mike and I have over 10 years now being writing partners. Like we have the shorthand where we can be like, I just really don't like that. That is really stupid. You know, like, so that's kind of a really nice dynamic to have with a writing partner is that you don't like, you don't have to worry about hurting each other's feelings. You can just be like, Dev, I just really don't like that at all. And I can be like, you are wrong sir. And so we can actually like argue in a nice, in a nice way, which I think you don't really, I don't think you should do that necessarily in a big writer's room where people don't always know each other that well. It's almost like a sibling. Like you can fight with your sibling, but you shouldn't fight with strangers on the street. Yeah. Have you ever had a job punching up somebody else's script? That's a great question. No, we've never done just a punch up. We do a lot of punch passes. On, wait, have we done that? Hold on a second. My friend just punched up the new Paw Patrol when she was showing me. Oh, awesome. So hey, funny. That actually had a lot of funny stuff in it. My kids yeah. really, really liked it. <laughs> it was funny. That sounds like it'd be a fun job. Yeah, but I'm like, oh, yeah, I forget that. But like 10 comedians punched it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, none of them get credit. But I remember like, I was like, what are you doing? She's like, punching up Paw Patrol. I was like, what? <laughs> it is interesting. Because I've funny. had, yeah. even in the commercial world, I've had kind of more like branded content stuff where we have a script, either like I wrote or someone else wrote it, and they're like, oh, we're just going to have someone punch it up. I'm like, it, it can't really get funnier than this. And then um, and then you get it back, you're like, oh, yeah, this, this could, is like. Oh, this, this is funny. This is like. This yeah. is like, yeah, like, next level. How, how'd yeah. you come up with all these zingers? And <laughs> yeah, do you think it's <laughs> just like job. a muscle you exercise and you just have a good instinct for pop culture references or like what, what is the secret to like make something funnier? Like why, why are, why can some people punch up a script and other people can't? Is that Take it away, Carlin. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) No, some people are really good at it. And and then you just also get in that zone. Like it's like a weird zone you're in. That's why people do drugs, by the way. That's why people do cocaine or caffeine or whatever, because they want to get themselves in that like confident place where they can just pitch crazy shit and not care. I also you know just like anything, it's it's about 
you know, trying 10 different things until the best. And sometimes the best one's the first one. Sometimes the best one's the 20th. You know what I mean? But it's, I think it's also just having the confidence to, to like keep pushing through the ideas to, cause when you find one, that's really funny, you'll know. You're like, Oh, that's fucking very funny. true. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. think that's why I like parody so much. I honestly, like when I have kind of a vivid memory of like kind of getting into that zone from with you, Devin, when we were, uh, at Take 180, we were we started doing all these parodies of like Twilight and things, and we did. We knew that Twilight was going to be this huge movie, and we saw the trailer. I think the movie. I don't know if the movie was even out yet, but somehow we knew that it was going to like the book had been huge. And we knew the you were was right, be huge. boy. And, you uh, were right. Yeah. And uh, we we saw the trailer, and it was so dumb and like melodramatic. And we were like, "What if we do the um, the Twilight before Christmas?" Do you remember that? Yeah. And we had yeah, our friend Sean. Who's a director there also played Santa Claus and Devin played. He was uh, a really, really good Santa. Yeah. And Devin played Kristen Stewart. Bell? Mm-hmm. What, Bella? What's her name? I don't Bella. know, but I love her. Bella. Um, and, I think it's Bella. And we just like, you know, like at the second the title came out, it was like 30 jokes pitched, you know, like say yeah. your name. And all we would do is take the, the dialogue from the trailer and just change like four words in it. And I think uh, Devin did this thing where with your face like with you were doing like this Kristen Stewart impression where you're just like trying to look so un- disinterested in everything or I, can, I don't know even how to describe it but I guess I just kind of remember that as like just off the title we have like a hundred jokes yes coming like some people can do that even if without the title and even if with just kind of like a, not as obvious a premise right I, I'm always just really impressed by it that is people that are like, here's, here's 10 outlines for this line of dialogue you, you gave us. We had in, in, in TV, and this happens in some sitcoms and stuff. They, they, there's an entire joke room. Like there's a room that does, I mean, that doesn't have, it's only happened once that I know of on one, on one show that we worked on, but they were, they were the joke room and they would do punch passes and they would like the showrunner would circle areas I mean, this was like a multi-cam sitcom. So you would circle areas that didn't do great at the run through or whatever. And then the joke room would just go and like focus on those areas. And certain people just really, really are really good at that. Yeah. I wonder if there's like kind of when you're starting out in your career, let's say you are a filmmaker and you're trying to, you want to make a comedy and you have like something that's like pretty funny and you're excited about and it's about something personal that happened to you. Like, I wonder if there is like a service or some way you can like get your script punched up, you know, by someone that's like really funny. That seems like a, a service that could never actually exist, but would be so valuable. Well, why? Why? That sounds great. Because you go on Shark Tank. That's a million dollar idea. Because I think if you're listening to this podcast and you hear you talking about this room where it's like literally we have we have this room where people are breaking stories, this showrunner that's telling you what's good or not. These people who make jokes funny, like. Of course it's going to be good. Like, how are you going to compete with that? You know, when you're just like sitting by yourself <laughs> when you're 22, you don't know if something's funny or not. Yeah, um, but then you should give it to your friends yeah. who are funny and just have them do a punch pass for you. And you circle, you know, like we did that. Mike and I had a pilot that we were working on and we there were two really good, really funny guys that we were working with on a show and we asked them to do a punch pass for us. Then we were going to hire them if we sold it. Then we didn't sell it. So sorry. 
That's a whole other story. That's Hollywood, baby. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you do that, Carlin? Do you have people like help you like on your script? Not not really. I mean, on some commercials that I've done, I've hired, you know, being a college humor and stuff for a while, like I, I do, I'm like writing a feature. Well, when I have time, but another, a feature with a writer actor who's a college humor and sometimes she'll help me with stuff, but no, normally I just punch it up myself. But like the stuff that I'm writing is is comedy, but it's not like broad Melissa McCarthy vehicles. It's not like that kind of comedy. It's a little more grounded. So real like character. More like the comedy. Juno. It's funnier than Juno. But um, I do a home please. skillet pass. Do a pass where you call everyone, every other character's home skillet. There you go. And then circle yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I remember that movie as being funny, but it is funny. It's like dry. Yeah, it totally is. Yeah. I and mean, the opening scene is like her and Rain Wilson just like, you know, talking in some sort of rhythmic yeah. barbs. Yeah. Better rewatch it. Um, well, Devin, if you if you were to give yourself advice, like fifteen years ago, Devin, what advice would you give to that person to help her be? the person that gets the TV writing jobs and the jobs for Netflix as opposed to the person that ends up going to work. Well, I had, I I had something I would always want to tell younger women and my younger self. Um, but I don't know how politically correct this is. And I don't know if things have, if times have changed, but one thing I would have said was dress like a man. And I mean that in all sincerity, don't show your boobs, not even the outline of them. Button up your shirt all the way to the top and try to look as close to male as possible. That was back in the day, though, before, like, because my dream was always to work in late night. <laughs> Not anymore because I don't, I can't. But, um, but my, that was my dream in the early, you know, 2000s-ish. And I didn't realize that I had no chance. No chance, not a, not a fucking chance at all to do that because women were just not, they were a distraction. They just weren't allowed. So I, I wish that when I was trying to do that, I also didn't at the same time think that um, being sexy was my only currency as a woman that like, so I was very like, what should I do? What lane should I be in? I want to be hot, of course, because that's, I mean, isn't that everyone's dream in life who's a woman? Um, so I was like trying to kind of dress hot because I thought that was a good idea. And then I was all, but then it was confusing. Oh, I you think were always to like, wearing high heels in the office. Comedi- what? You were always wearing high heels in the office. Now I, <laughs> I <remember. laughs> No, I wasn't, Oren. Come on. Um, <laughs> no, but yeah. So it's like, you know, that's, I, I wish that when I was really, because, you know, I, if I'm giving myself from now the same advice from the same era when I was young, it would have been to dress like a man. I know. No, I don't know. Not. Are people going to send emails? I don't fucking know. What's happened? Is this, I mean, you know, I don't know I'm, what era. I'm 33. And um, I think intuitively in the beginning of my career, I dressed pretty androgynous just because I just knew, you know what I mean? Like if you were a threat, if you were a threat to someone's like, if someone's like wife or something, an exec like saw you and you were a threat, it was just distracting. And and it's not, I don't know. I hope it's, I hope it's changing. I don't know. I I mean, I don't know. I mean, look, like I'm also a director, Devin, and I, um, 
I remember graduating from film school even 10 some 10 plus years ago maybe I'm older okay whenever that was and thinking like I'm a fucking idiot for thinking I can be a director there are no women directors there are like three but it has changed in the past couple years truly right it has right in a, the past couple, couple years, years. Yeah, too. And that's what I thought. I went to film school because I thought I wanted to be a director too. Mm-hmm. And then I, and then you realize there's no, and that's when people start bringing into the conversation that representation matters. Because if you don't see anyone like you in the world, you don't think you can do it. Right. Because it hasn't been done. Just, just an aside, when I did move to LA, Oren was a huge advocate for me and did send my reel around and help me more than truly anyone in the business. I'm like, part of the reason I'm working today is for Oren. I'm, and that's true. Like I just, thank you, Oren. <laughs> my recommendation, uh, my un- unpaid endorsement is to be friends with Oren Kaplan. But, um, I, I would say you're welcome, but you're not like, I don't send reels to people as like favors. I thought your, your work was really good. And I thought Devin is like one of the funniest people I've ever met. And I remember like, you know, when we worked together, like we would fight like that, like siblings. And I, I like love that. And I've worked at places where people don't care about their work and that I, you know, did, do not like that. And so um, you're welcome. I'm, I, I appreciate that you appreciate <laughs> it, but I just sent your stuff. Cause I thought I, I mean, from the first time you came on our podcast and told us that story about your short film that you made based on your, nephew or niece or whatever i was like oh man this person's like a genius so i want to see people- it is can we see it carlin where can people see that i don't I, even I, know which one you're talking oh i know what you're talking about she, for her first film project she like interviewed her niece about i don't know inappropriate Sex. things yeah oh. <laughs> um but then you know found like some something inter- it's it's hard to find new things to say especially like i you know i was telling carlin earlier Devin, that i think I feel like we kind of like invented like influencer marketing in a way. We like hired these YouTubers to be in our shows. To <laughs> we did do that. I was like, how literally? How dare you? I'm and I and here I am directing influencers because of you two. Yeah, and we also like <laughs> started the like really bad viral videos, like the green instead of like the big budget stuff, like the YouTube. I do, sketch- but I love that. That's that, charming. But, um, <laughs> definitely. Do. We were, well, YouTube we were, had just come out. To be fair to us, we were like, "What's this? Should we put it on YouTube?" Yeah, but so yeah. back then it was like kind of easy to do things no one has, has done before because no one like respected YouTube or whatever. But today, I feel like it's really hard to find you know, something that no one has done, you know, mm-hmm. like you trying to make a joke on Twitter and a bazillion people have already made it. So, it's um, so I, you know, whenever I meet someone that's like, has some kind of cool angle, I, you know, I, I like to tell other people about them. And luckily I get a lot of people ask me for recommendations. So it's very, it's great when I have someone, cause I really don't like recommending people that I don't think are good at what they do or ready, you know, for, for the job. So. You get you made it easy. Okay, cool. Well, Devin, I know it's late, but uh, do you mind joining us for an unpaid endorse, endorsement? Not at all. Quick? I want to do that. Can I? I have to plug my computer, and that's how long we talked. Unpaid endorsements. I have two things. I'll start with the dumb one, which is uh, I went to Trader Joe's the other day, and they have th- these new potato chips for Thanksgiving. Oh that are God. like stuffing flavored. Oren like, loves Trader Joe's, like the dumbest snacks at Trader Joe's. Oren buys them all. Well, so first I was going to get these rice mochi crackers or whatever that Those are, are um, 
to be fair, so insanely spicy. They had a really spicy version that like when I eat it, it's like depressing for a second. And I'm like, I, I literally like start walking to the trash can to throw the bag away. Then I'm like, I'll eat, I'll take one more. <laughs> um, and then I'm like, I put it back in the pantry. But if you like really spicy things that aren't that good, but are really spicy, you should check out those uh, spicy mochi rice nuggets. But these potato chips, this woman, some, and I, and I started talking about these <laughs> mochi nuggets and she's like, you must try. Like if you like Thanksgiving at all, like it would be offensive if you did not buy these potato <laughs> chips. They're potato, are, but they taste like stuffing. Chips, they which taste is like stuffing. Wheat, yeah. Sort of a bready product. Yeah. Does that okay. mean you can't eat it? No. Mm-hmm. Well, I make gluten free stuffing every Thanksgiving and it is good. And I swear to God, I know people say this all the time. You cannot tell it's gluten free. I, I, and that's a promise. Yeah. No. I mean, if for those that don't know, in a week. Cause it's made, yeah. Cause it's made with dry, crusty bread. Yeah. That's why. I mean, that's the what best, stuffing is. By far the best pancake mix I've ever had is the gluten-free pumpkin mix at From Trader, Trader Joe's. Joe's. Yeah. Also, How do we guess? I gotta, also, have you been to a different grocery store ever? No. Uh, I've been to Costco. But uh, the, the, I remember <laughs> Devin, when we used to work together, she was like famous for being gluten-free. And I'm there's famous. this gluten-free granola. Famous. He's a trendsetter. Yeah, exactly. This, the gluten-free granola from Trader Joe's is like the best granola they have. And then you would always get mad at other people for eating it because it was like the gluten-free food. But we're like, it's so good. Like, that sounds like have me. to eat it. You don't um, have gluten in granola. That's crazy. Shouldn't I know. Be, shouldn't have gluten anyways. It's anyway, to be well, I, I owe you a huge apology. Thank you. That can be your endorsement. Um, but uh, my other endorsement is just to have like a good microphone. If you're a filmmaker and all, it's just so valuable to have. Like I, I have our mics are like Audio Technica twenty AT twenty twenties. They're like ninety bucks or something on Amazon, and I can't tell you like. Pretty much once a week, I record temp VO where I do, you know, I use my a good mic for something. Obviously, I use it for the podcast. I use it for Zoom calls. I use it for everything. And I think, like, in, investing in, like, a halfway decent microphone is, like, a, is really smart, especially if you edit, if you work in film or anything. So you should get a good mic. Okay, Carlin, you got anything? Yeah, I have a real, like, basic white girl recommendation. Um, That's not true. Sort of like white girl on the east side of a a major city. Uh, The new Sally Rooney novel, Beautiful World, Where Are You? I um, just devoured it. I read Normal People recently. I was way behind on that, and I truly blaze through it too yeah it's her, so she's an incredible writer oh yeah i was literally i just i talk about like how do you come up with stuff i i would dog ear the pages like i can't believe i just fucking read that sentence that someone captured something so so beautifully yeah yeah she's you an awesome like writer oh i'm good oh good okay. it's good it's really good it's it's interesting that she's now in a similar writing. genre yes that's Normal what's people. that's what's kind of and she has another book called conversations with friends which i also love but they're all kind of like about women and complicated relationships around 30 in Dublin. And I keep thinking like, surely I'm going to tire of this. And I don't. And because her writing is just exquisite. And this, this novel in particular is about, again, like two women in sort of complicated relationship with these two men. But um, it's a little bit cynical in a way that feels authentic because it's kind of like their experiences are, filtered through what we're going through right now, like our planet and the pandemic and everything. And it's just kind of, a God, it's just, it's just gorgeous. Her, her writing and it, 
Yeah. Yeah, I Excellent. love it. I am going awesome. to read that. And Thank if you, you haven't seen Normal People on Hulu, it's incredible. It's yeah. a really good adaptation. I remember thinking, how the fuck are they going to adapt this? And they did. It was crazy. They really did. It's they really, really good. They really did. Devin, you got anything? Yes. I All my stuff sounds really preachy. I recommend <laughs> sunscreen. Uh-huh. That's an Orrin Kaplan recommendation if I've ever heard one, and I love it. I just really think every human should wear it. You just should. But that and then and then just don't drink alcohol. Oh I don't on. think people should drink <laughs> alcohol. I'm sorry. It's gonna fucking ruin your life. I think it ruins what? people's lives. Tim Tim drinks everyone. alcohol. Your yeah. anonymous husband. The hubs drinks alcohol. He's like literally the only person I know who can have a few drinks and still not be an alcoholic. That's me. I can have like one glass of wine every. You can. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll I'll relax my unendorsement. Yeah. I would, it would truly kill me. I don't know. I just feel like it ruins a lot of lives. You know, this is called unpaid endorsements, right? Yeah. I'm just mixing it up. I'm mixing it up. I don't know. I've just started thinking about what do I want to tell the world? (laughs) Don't drink alcohol. Well, Devin, thanks so much for joining us. And Carl, thank you both. Stepping in for Matt. You'll need to meet Matt one of these days, Devin, I think. I really want to. That would be fun. Yeah. Thanks for coming. If people want to find out more about you, do you, I mean, there's just like a TV mom on Instagram, anywhere Mm -hmm. else people can see what uh, Devin Kelly's doing. I started another Instagram called Diaper Paparazzi. People want to send me, (laughs) I actually need more people to send me stuff because I, it's all pictures that people's kids take of them on their own phone which is oh. always, you always look like shit and you always instantly delete it. And I just want to make a whole page of just that. That's I funny. want people to stop deleting those photos and send them. Wait, is it the paparazzi. photo the kid takes themselves or they, they take no, of you? No, of you. Kids oh. take, your kids take photos of you that are some of the least flattering pantsless you're on the toilet all of a sudden your kid appears with your phone in your face taking your picture when you're asleep all that stuff and it's the stuff oh i do i do i have gotten i've gotten a good yeah yeah why would why wouldn't them pantsless photos i don't know yeah why would someone delete that instead of sending it to the world to the to a stranger on the internet yeah exactly but yeah i don't know about me i don't blog or anything or i don't know what you mean about finding out that's it just check her out on imdb yeah, there you go. yeah, that's it. Grow if you're really serious about what you do. Yeah, if you care about your craft, so buy a mic, pay 150 a year for IMDb. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, okay. Yeah, thank you guys so much. This well, was really uh, fun. Yeah, this episode was edited by Sarah Weirda. The outro music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 